0: You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community, with your host Ben Wolf.
1: And welcome to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community. Again, I am your host, uh, Ben Wolf. We're going to learn from our guest today how to use a peer advisory group to help you succeed in tough times. That is our basic topic. We're going to cover a lot of stuff that's particularly relevant now in the coronavirus, post-coronavirus, post. Lockdown world, uh, the new normal that no one knows what it is that we are living in now, and um, I encourage everybody to subscribe wherever you're listening to this on podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, uh, Spotify, uh, including YouTube now. Follow and you know hit all instead of uh, letting YouTube use its algorithms and let Big Brother decide uh, which which uh, YouTube videos you watch. But uh, the uh, so subscribe leave a review, and uh, it will make it better for yourself in the future to have access to this stuff uh, that we are sharing here and give it more accessibility to other people in the future as well. So with that, I want to get into introducing today's guest. Uh, He is a Master Vistage Chair in Vistage NYC, uh, which is a peer advisory group we've talked about before on the show. Uh, His is the second largest Vistage group or a set of groups, uh, group leader in the world where he coaches and facilitates uh, seven peer advisory groups all in New York City. He is an executive coach, and hopefully if I mess anything up in his intro, he can correct me afterwards, but he's an executive coach to CEOs, a TEDx speaker, uh, founder, CEO, and has business experience expanding over four decades. You can find out more about him at his website, Mark Taylor, mark with a K, taylor.nyc. And with that, I give you Mark Taylor. Welcome, Mark. Thank yeah. you. My pleasure and very happy to have you on. Uh, if I can, like I like I do with all of our guests, if, if, if you could just like, you know, some of the stuff that's not in your resume or the introduction, give people like a quick two-minute background on kind of where you come from, what's important to you, how you got to be, you know, working with people on the kind of stuff you are today.
0: I don't know if I've ever told you this but um, I started my first business in 1976 and-
1: I'll spare you telling, mentioning how old I was at that time.
0: Okay, thank you. <laughs> um, and that business lasted a total of six months before it turned into an utter failure that was just debilitating because I invested every single dime that I had into that business. And I was just so depressed after that I thought, I dropped out of college to start that business. And I come from near the Detroit, Michigan area where everyone went to work for the factories and very few of my uh, fellow students went on to college. So I made it to college and then I saw this business opportunity I dropped out of college to start it and I thought, some of these people with college degrees, they know something that I don't know. I must have failed because I'm not smart enough to run a business. Mm -hmm. So I got a job at Corporate America. And uh, they had an educational reimbursement program. I went to college at night. I worked full-time during the day. I eventually got my bachelor's degree, and I thought, huh, what do I know now that I didn't know then? I mean, I must need more education. So I got an MBA. I got a master's in leadership. I did more educational courses than you can imagine. And by 1989, I had climbed up the corporate ladder and was very frustrated and my wife said, why don't you start a business? And I said, well, really, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of failure. I mean, my first experience was horrible.
1: Mm, PTSD. So with, yeah,
0: exactly. And with her support, I started my second business. And I was the micromanager on steroids. It was a, a software business. Um, I wrote the code. Uh, even after I hired employees, I checked every line of code. I made the sales calls even after I hired salespeople. I checked every single proposal to make sure it was right. I I checked every invoice to make sure it was right. I was working from seven in the morning until midnight, uh, 10 o'clock at night almost every single day. And um, finally, uh, somebody introduced me to Vistage, peer advisory board. And uh, I went to a meeting and I thought, wow, this is great people around that understand some of the challenges that I'm going through. I learned right away what the role of a CEO was because I didn't even think of myself as a CEO. I thought CEOs were on uh, Fortune Magazine and the Wall Street Journal, not what I was doing because I just had a small company at that point. And I began to own that role as a CEO, hired an executive team, learned to delegate. And I got my life back because I say this with shame. The first five years of business, I don't even remember my three kids. I was working nonstop mm. the entire time. I sold that business in uh, 2005, and I wanted to become a Vistage chair to help other business owners learn what it is to be a CEO, what it is to balance work and and home life, and how to really make a contribution not only to their families and employees, but to our communities and society as a whole,
1: right? And you know, and so actually, that really gets into one well, the first thing I wanted to ask you, uh, which is relating to something that you know we've talked about on the podcast before. Quoting your friend, my mentor, Jonathan Smith, who was my EOS implementer when I was on the client side. You know, And again, for those listening more recently, EOS stands for the Entrepreneurial Operating System, a comprehensive set of tools for getting maximum that you want out of a business. I'm, I'm an EOS implementer. I help other companies do that. Um, and Jonathan Smith is my mentor now in, in, in that respect. And one of the things he writes in his book, Optimize for Growth, is that a leader needs three things to be successful, uh, a coach, a peer advisory group like Vistage and, and others, uh, and then a business operating system like EOS, entrepreneurial operating system, and there's others of those as well. Uh, but then you really need all three. So I guess what I wanted to ask you, from you being the best person to speak to about this, really, is that if someone has any two of those, you know, a coach and a peer group but no operating system, or a coach and an operating you know system but no peer group, or whatever, what if if somebody has any two of those three but not the third, what are they going to be missing out on?
0: You know, I, I as you mentioned three things. I think of a stool, and if you have a two-legged stool, it's just not quite as stable as a three-legged stool. Mm-hmm. So if you only have a coach, you know, you get one perspective. I mean, Vistage has been around for sixty years. We've worked with over a hundred thousand CEOs, oh. and we found that the highest performing CEOs had had three things in common. Mm-hmm. One, they were of a peer advisory group with uh, like-minded professionals that can challenge the way that they're they're thinking. Hmm. Um, We just um, had an executive summit. We had Heidi Grant uh, as a speaker. She's a uh, social scientist, and she talked about that the higher you go up in the organization, the more blind you become. The Hmm. more power that you have, the less that you really know what's going on. And, and that's a problem as, as we, as CEOs become more powerful and the more successful they become, uh, the less that they're able to see what their blind spots are. And that's mm-hmm. the real advantage of a of a
1: peer. And people below them may not speak up
0: no, as much. No, afraid to speak up and they want to tell you what you want to hear, which was my experience as a CEO, is that I didn't have a place where I could go for unbiased uh, feedback and advice. I mean, I finally realized I didn't fail that first time because I'm not a smart guy or because I didn't have a college degree. I didn't have a group of peers to challenge my decisions and to ask me questions to have me think at a completely different level. Now a coach can do some of that. A coach can provide you with their perspective. You know, I'm a certified coach, I learned that you're actually not supposed to provide advice, you're not a consultant, you're supposed to ask questions and have the person come to realizations and epiphanies and take actions out of that and you can support them in achieving their goals and helping them design goals and designing systems for them to achieve those things. And I do that with my members because I also provide coaching to them. But if you only have a coach, you're missing not only multiple perspectives from a group of peers, because you're only getting one, but you're missing that opportunity to practice your leadership in a group, which is the other thing that we do in a peer advisory group.
1: Yeah, we what know, does that mean?
0: Well, we know from uh, research, like from uh, the book Mastering Leadership, where they've done uh, 2, 360 degree surveys, what are the competencies that create effective leadership? One of those is the ability to ask good questions, mm-hmm to be present, to articulate issues clearly. So these are the things you get to practice in a group. Are you articulating an issue clearly? Mm -hmm. Are you asking good questions? Are you listening? So everyone in the room gets to practice that whether or not you're presenting an issue or not. And, And just so that you know, what typically happens in a peer advisory group is that people bring their problems, their issues, their challenges, their opportunities, to get unbiased feedback. And we have a process where we ask them questions to to discover if that's really the real issue because many times it's not. Right. A symptom. So if you only have a peer advisory group and you don't have a coach, I think what you could be missing out on is some of that individual behavioral coaching. Um, Maybe Somebody's not holding you accountable to a specific goal. Maybe somebody's not helping you develop that goal. And maybe somebody's not saying, okay, you know, you're showing up for me right now as, uh, as a know-it-all. And is that really what's serving you best? Mm-hmm. You know, what kind of impact is that having on the people around you? Do you, mm-hmm. you know, how would you know if they feel like they're holding back and not, you know, sharing their truth? So I think that's what's missing there. And the third leg of that st- stool was an operating system. And, and I love right. the, the EOS system mm-hmm. because, you know, businesses are like children. You go through different stages of development. You know, in the first stage, I think uh, uh, there is a, a book about the different stages, the life cycle of organizations by a You know, it's like the go-go stage. And you're the CEO and the founder and you're doing everything. And then you get to the next stage, maybe you're into uh, childhood and you hire a few people, but everybody's kind of doing everything. And then you begin to realize, once you get to a certain point, and I think it's like maybe around 5 million in revenue that you need to start creating lanes. And that's what a business operating system does, is it has mm-hmm. you look at your organizational structure, it has you create systems so that people stay within their lanes and begin to operate on a predictable basis because what you're looking to do to really go to the next level, to be a valuable organization, is you gotta have some predictable uh, predictability. You gotta be able to predict what your sales are gonna be, you gotta right. be able to predict your marketing results, you gotta be able to predict uh, your quality, you gotta be able to predict uh, you know your employees and the, the workloads. Um, and that's what a business operating system does for an organization.
1: Right. That's I mean that's that's super interesting and helpful. I'm glad I'm glad you addressed all three scenarios. Um, I guess what I want to ask yet with next was to go from like that high level to like more concrete. Like what let's just talking more specifically if someone's lacking the peer advisory group. Like getting more concrete or specific. Like what are what are specific mistakes that people are making now without that maybe stories examples but like what are what are some specifics about the mistakes and and what people are doing wrong now because they are blinded you know that lack of peers or multiple peers to run things through so
0: i remember and i'll give some personal examples i'll share from Mm -hmm. experience um i wanted to uh you know, take a look at a new technology and invest in it. And of course, my vice president of engineering was all excited about investing in this new technology because he loved new toys and technology is kind of a, a of a toy. Uh, he loved the idea. And what kind of uh, advice did I get? This is a great idea. Let's go for it. Of course, it was my money that I'm investing. And when you're a, right. a founder entrepreneur, it's like, what comes out of this pocket to go into this pocket, in my case, was like my children's college education that I was borrowing in order to uh, bet that this technology was gonna have a return on investment. Right. So who's gonna tell me that it's a bad idea?
1: Right, not your head of engineering.
0: (laughs) Not my head of engineering everyone else, the head of sales, the vice president of sales, new technology to sell, new opportunities to make revenue.
1: Right. And even your coach, right? They're, they're not going to know the substance of it. They're facilitating you, you, right. you know,
0: exactly. So that's when a peer advisory board can, you know, you have 16 people there. Somebody's going to have a contrary opinion. I mean, what we believe is that CEOs are in the decision in the business of making decisions and the more complex the decision, the more useful it is to gain some outside perspectives. Mm-hmm. You know, if you were looking at uh, buying an apartment in the city, you might see a place you might like that place, but then you might go for an expert perspective for a broker to see if it's, you know, being offered at a price range that's competitive to the market, you might go Mm -hmm. to a lawyer to help you look at the contract, you're gonna get some outside perspectives. And that's what we do in a a peer advisory group is you get other people's opinions. Many times you'll see somebody over here with this opinion and arguing for this uh, solution or whatever their advice would be, and somebody over here arguing something different and you could have a third one. And so it's like they're all arguing their mm-hmm. your issue. It's like the conversations that you have in your head are being mm-hmm. argued right. out loud. And you begin to see, oh, yeah, or maybe somebody's coming up with an argument you didn't even think of. And you think, oh, I should take that into consideration in making making my decision.
1: So if I'm in a room like that, how do I avoid like paralysis by analysis if there's so many voices?
0: You know, one of the benefits of Vistage is that they have professional facilitators called mm-hmm. Vistage Chairs.
1: That's, right. You're not that's, just on your own with your friends talking about this.
0: Right. I'm there to facilitate the conversation. You know, a group of 16, I'm going to have multiple issues, so I'm paying attention. It can get them. out of hand. Yeah, it could easily get out of hand. In fact, uh, before I even joined Vistage, I joined a another group, a CEO roundtable. that didn't have a facilitator, and that's what it was, is everyone – talking and the, you know, the squeaky wheels got the grease and the extroverts got all the attention. And if you were a little introverted, you didn't get to uh,
1: Uh
0: even, even talk much. But that's my job is to facilitate the conversation so that it's moving forward, that we're asking good questions, that we're looking at deeper issues, that we're seeing, you know, what the what emotions are coming up what the impact is not only on dollars and hours but emotions and relationships mm-hmm. and sometimes we'll even go deep to find out that this is uh, some self-limiting belief that somebody has mm-hmm. that might be getting in their way might be sabotaging what their values are or what their goals are and what they're committed to right.
1: and as a trained facilitator i mean you're you're more equipped to call out those things than than you know than regular civilians, like, you know, regular civilians. And what, um, what about, I, I guess the other thing, which is when you have as a facilitator, when you have, let's say not enough, but let's take the opposite scenario. There's not enough pushback. People are just complacent about something or not, I don't know, maybe not engaged enough or not willing enough to speak. How do you get people out there to challenge each other? If, if I don't know, or maybe that doesn't maybe that doesn't happen so much in a in a group like this, where pe- where people are not sufficiently engaged. Well, our
0: one of our core values is challenge, mm-hmm. and you know I've also had the opportunity as a Vistage speaker to talk to about a hundred different groups in uh, three different countries and throughout the United States, and I can tell you that my Manhattan groups challenge is not an issue.
1: Right. Maybe other parts of the country, we we could other find. parts of
0: the country, Canada, you know, where I come to be, where I
1: come from in Nashville, maybe that's more of a more of a challenge.
0: Yeah, they, people want to be nice, but here, you know, another one of our values is care. Sometimes I have to encourage them to uh-huh, the other, know, be more nurturing in the their challenging.
1: Right. <laughs> No, I, I hear, right, we are talking about New York City, right? Right, but so. if it were to
0: happen, if it were to happen, you know, right. I, as a facilitator, you know, and then I ask people, and I will ask the introverts, you know, I'll say, Ben, I haven't heard from you, what's your perspective on that? And sometimes the introverts are the ones that are thinking of it, and they come up with something that's just so brilliant, uh, right. this conversation's gone on for 15 million minutes, and it's like,
1: wow, who can right. I Another instance, I guess where that where having that facilitator there is different than if you were talking about it with your friends or or whatever where it you could just take over um, you know and not and not have that perspective because you don't have that pro- professional facilitation I guess just before we well, before we run out of time, we got about you know or, or around nine ten minutes left um, i wa- I want to talk about this post lockdown world a little bit also you know we're we're getting into a world of uncertainty New York City recently entered phase one, Uh, business leaders around the country are entering, you know, more advanced stages of reopening post lockdown. I guess the first thing I'm wondering is like, what is you're working with a lot of business owners, you know, so this is a great chance for me and our listeners to pick your brain on this. But what's the biggest thing that's on people's minds that have businesses like in the trenches right now? What's the biggest thing that's on people's minds that people's worried people are worried about?
0: It's interesting, and I don't know how soon this will be published, because I've been gone from monthly meetings to weekly meetings with my CEOs, Mm -hmm. and the issues, and the biggest thing on their mind changes from week to week to week (laughs) to week.
1: Wow, right.
0: Uh, first it was, you know, the Family Leave Act, and what does that mean, and then PP right. the PPP came available, and then the banks ran out of money, and then what do we do? And then we found alternate right. sources. You know, 100% of my members got the PPP money as a result wow. of these weekly conversations. Wow. So then it moved to... How do we get forgiveness? And now the forgiveness rules are changing. And then, yep. we've had, uh, you know, the uh, the, the protests. Uh, the last two weeks have been about returning to work. You know, what right. are the requirements? What do we have to do to be safe? What's reasonable? Do we take people's temperatures? Do we have some sort of a survey of whether or not uh, they have, you know, the symptoms of COVID? When to open? Like. You know, we could, some people could do it right now. Phase two is probably gonna be uh, around the first week of July. Should we open? Um, Some people are really looking at, wow, this remote working isn't so bad. Maybe I don't need as much space when I go back to work. Um, Others are like, how do I get my people back to work? They like working at home, but
1: I want them in the office.
0: uh, those are some of the issues that I've been hearing.
1: Uh-huh. That's top of mind. So it's it's not. I so I, it's interesting because I was wondering if you were going to say whether it was cash, you know, and or sales in, that are in the pipeline, or you know, and that's not. It's interesting, you know. I didn't give you any prompts, but like that's not. What I guess is top of the conversations right now, which is no cash and, uh,
0: sales are definitely part of the conversations. You know, I have some people that are in the restaurant business, hotel business that uh, really are are suffering. Uh, I mean, some that were gonna open up like a week ago for outside service for takeout, which is permissible, and then we had the, the you know the protests and uh, they ended up boarding up the restaurant and not mm. opening and Cash is, you know, definitely dwindling. PPP helped out a lot of you know, a lot of people to, to make it over this temporary period of time. Mm-hmm. So within that conserving of cash, the conversations about do I lay off employees? Do I ask them to take a reduction in pay? Do I eliminate bonuses? What expenses do I cut? What expenses are essential versus non-essential? All of those are included. I mean, there's just so many different conversations. Yeah. Yeah. It's a ton of issues. Yes. Yes.
1: Um, so I guess, Here's another thing I'm wondering is what has, and the truth is I could send you this information afterwards, but I actually know somebody who developed a program for testing and tracking of employees. They send people to the office for the testing and actually have a whole program to help people get compliant and feel safe and, and everything. If you want me to send you the information on that um, afterwards. Yeah, that
0: would be great. Cause uh, you know, figuring out how to do that, you know, we have some.
1: Yeah. People have developed, you know, entrepreneurs develop, things in response and so you know i know somebody that's it's you know going through the ceiling this program that they develop because people need to open up and they need to be safe they need to test they need to track and they they just kind of made this out of the box thing where, where they do all of that and have um, they
0: checked it out because you know we have lawyers as uh, in our group managing partners of larger law firms here it's in the city.
1: there's a it, they're affiliated with a 70 or 80 location medical practice so i i, I don't know the details but i'll i let you ask that question when you speak with them. Um, because
0: one of the questions is, is, can you take a temperature and then you write their name down, what their temperature is? Is that legal to have?
1: Right. Well, they, well, this program, they, they've I, I do know that they've addressed all the HIPAA issues and security and privacy ahead, and, and all of that. But, um, but so getting getting back to the, the questions at hand, though, one thing I want to know is who who have you seen has fared badly i mean obviously there's things completely outside of anyone's control but maybe things that people could have done something about or they could have pivoted and didn't who's uh, done badly uh, now obviously c- putting aside things that are completely outside of anyone's control which are which are many who's done badly that could have done better
0: oh uh, you know that's what we work on is brainstorming sometimes on things that people can do. And, and some people have pivoted remarkably. I have uh, one member that, uh, is a manufacturer of, um, you know, like safety harnesses that pivoted into making masks and marketing Mm. masks in time. Um, I would say the ones that have not done as well as they could badly in your words, haven't done anything to pivot. You know, they're mm-hmm. sent, they have the same product line or the same service and the demand for that service or product line has dwindled and, Bottomed, yeah. and they don't know what to do. I have somebody that manages a, a event. So, you know, there's an event business and they're big yeah, events. That's a is, tough one. Yeah. Jacob Javits and they make, you know, almost a hundred percent of the revenue and it was canceled, but they've pivoted to an online world, but it's still, not bringing in the revenue of a, of a you know face-to-face uh, convention. Or right. Trade. Um, certainly, the nightclub business is uh, done mm. devastated. The hotel right. business is devastated. Right. Uh,
1: um, yeah, physical plants, physical locations, such expenses associated with that you know, even the event business like, you know, I guess part of, they don't have their own physical space. So like, there's not that much built in expense that they can't do anything about. As opposed to a restaurant or retail, or uh, if you, if if it's your event space, like Jacob Javits itself, let's say, you know, the event space itself, uh, you know, I know there's Amazon loft in downtown and, you know, there's all these event spaces, so.
0: Right, I mean, uh, Jacob Javits pivoted to be a hospital. That's true, right?
1: That's true.
0: Yeah. And my recent alerts, uh, their, their sales are down substantially. I mean, they're what they're doing, you know, some of them that are doing better than others have ramped up their online presence and, uh, online sales. Um,
1: Yeah. there's, yeah, well, that's really interesting. And uh, yeah, so that's, well, that was actually going to be my next question, which was, you know, some of the good ideas and some of the things that people have done that have, that have, that have done better. And, and it sounds like what I'm, what I'm hearing, the common denominator, <clears throat> which is pretty intuitive, actually, you know, is whether you're pivoting, whether you're, whether you're listening and watching <clears throat> and being realistic and, <clears throat> excuse me. Paying attention to uh, to what's actually happening around you, uh, and not wishful thinking or not frozen by indecision or fear, um, that that makes a difference.
0: Right. I have an architecture firm, a fairly substantial one, and you know obviously a lot of the projects have uh, been reduced. And what he pivoted to is um, he's created ways to make it safe to go back to work. So he's got systems and hmm. they're, you know, uh, systems that actually kill COVID like dry hydrogen peroxide, uh, uh, dispensers. And, oh,
1: like actual machines. Okay. Uh,
0: you know, HVAC systems and, uh, yeah. you know, designing offices to be COVID safe, you know, uh, you know, faucets and bathrooms and doors that, uh, you know, you wave your right. hand. You don't touch. You might have to touch and, uh, right. Different types of uh, glass um, enclosures, so that you could sit in an open office environment and still have glass around you, protecting you, keeping you at a safe distance, as well as signage on, you know, which way to face, and elevators, and uh, you know, directional flows to keep people from touching one, getting close right. to one another. Um, wow! So, you know, that was a great pivot, that, uh, you know, can make a huge difference for, for people.
1: Right. Well, I, you know, I, it makes a lot of sense. And I, and I definitely see how, especially during the, the, the fast changes, everything that's happening and different things being on your mind every week, how having more people that are your peers, not just your employees or even your leaders under you. Um, and, and even just one coach can, you know, obviously it's, I mean, it's clear from the stories you're telling how that makes, that makes a difference in being successful in this, constantly changing you know market and world that, that we're living in so i really appreciate you coming on and talking about that again people can find out more about mark taylor master vistage chair at uh, mark taylor mark with a k mark taylor nyc uh and mark just really appreciate you coming on and, and 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 teaching and sharing with us today thank you yeah thanks a lot and we'll see everybody else on the other side thank you you're listening to Win-Win,
0: an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf.